Welcome to Geek on Film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hoche. Hey there, uh, this is Robbie. Welcome to Geek on Film. Uh, I'm here with John and we're ready to get going for the week of August 1st. Welcome, John. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited that it's finally raining up here in uh, in the tri-state area in which I dwell. Um, my my back fence caught on fire with all the hot, uh, the heat and the droughts and stuff like that because someone flicked a cigarette at it. So I got woken up when I was sleeping by a police officer in my uh, front yard and saying, hey, your back fence is on fire. And I was like, that really sucks. And he was like, yeah, it's out. Don't worry. And I was like, oh. But anyway, I'm happy that it's raining. I'm happy to be here talking about movies and all that good stuff with you. So, Sounds like a really good premise for a sitcom. Uh, (laughs) Random house in New Jersey gets burned down because of this. Uh, I think we can totally produce this. Let's make it happen, John. (laughs) Um, so, uh, let's start off with, uh, some, uh, I don't know if you've got any new, uh, releases that you've added to your collection. I know you've been really working on the Hosh Haven and getting that all set up with all of the myriad of figures and all the other things you have going on there. Uh, I was lucky enough because of prime day to grab a couple of like big collections on the 4k side. Um, so I finally bought the middle earth ultimate collector's edition. Um, I don't know how ultimate I would say it is when it comes right down to it, but the 4K versions and the extended releases of the original um, Lord of the Rings movies is what I was really caring about. And it just so happened to come along with The Hobbit and in all three films uh, and yeah. in, a, in a crappy cardboard box. So uh, well, <laughs> um, that's, that's not cool. It's a little sad that this is quote unquote the ultimate edition, uh, but the I did spot check the movies when they came in to just take a look at them. It's been a while since I've seen them, and I'm really impressed with how good they look. But it's crazy to see the variance in the effects and the 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 depth of field. I feel like between the first movie and the third movie. So I like oh, I put sure. up the first five minutes of the first movie and then the first five minutes of the third movie, and I'm like good Lord, this looks like a completely different production. And you know, they were all shot back to back because we were told that, but the actual effects are so much crisper. Like the detail, even in the 4k release is so much better in that final, in the final discs. It's unbelievable. Oh, sure. Like, uh, you know, like they definitely probably most likely were, were filmed, (laughs) uh, you know, all the way through or whatever they, they tell us, but, but just like cell phones and cameras, like technology, just so like, just improved so exponentially fast and they were learning so much of what they needed. So like, if even if you look in like, if you look at like the little bit of Gollum in the first movie, yeah, he, he really looks nothing like what we ended up with, with yep. um, a mixture of like Andy Serkis's performance, his voice and what they did digitally. So. Yeah. It's um, amazing to see the variance in just such a short window where they shot it all back to back and then they produced the movies. Like, you, you know, each one of those movies was released every other year, I think for yeah. the next six years. Um, and you can see the post-production work change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really that and the sort of the, the image capture on the, on the, um, on the acting by Andy Serkis, right. The, the motion capture, it, the, it's exponential how much more detail there is in his motion and in his movements. It, it really is cool to see that aspect, even in one film series. 
um, and the, the bump up that you can feel. Um, and it doesn't suffer from being bad digitally rendered film in the first one. It's just mm-hmm. so good by where the last one is. And then when you get to the Hobbit films, right? Like we're in a, it's, it's like, it might as well be a completely different time period where they're shooting those films. Cause they shot yeah. them so much later. And then the post-production again was so much longer and afterwards. So, um, like when you get to, you know, the, the dragon in the second film, the detail is ridiculous. Like I remember sure. yeah. everybody talking about like the step up and how good that looked. So I, I will at some point get through it, but, uh, I don't, I think, movie- Amy, I think Amy's like, I don't really want to watch those movies again. And I'm like, but I yeah. really want to, you know, those so. movies looked great, but, yes. uh, that's, I don't know how much more I can say about it, but the, the, they looked great. Especially um, on the Hobbit side, for sure. Yeah. Does, does this edition that you just bought, do they have both the extended and the theatrical releases? They do, yeah. So the yeah. the extended version in 4K is on two 4K discs. Wow. So, yeah, I, I haven't gotten to the end of one of them yet, but I'm sure it's going to be like, this is an intermission. Like, yeah, it's going to be like, yeah. because they're going to have to do something at the end of it. But uh, I'm interested to see how they handle it. Uh, but I, I'm, I, it's, it's definitely one of those, like, I need to dedicate some time. I don't think I'm going to do it over a weekend. And I think it'll be like, I'll do these out, you know, <laughs> you, you got to wait till Christmas. That's like the new thing everyone does now is like during the Christmas season is they, they watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, I guess also because they, they start playing them like on loop on TBS. I think like, it's like them and the, and a Christmas story. <laughs> So. I mean, you could go worse. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm game. I'm willing to play it. The, the other yeah. physical thing I finally bought is I got the Godfather trilogy, the recently re-released and re uh, and and recaptured 4K releases. Um, and boy, that movie! I, I I haven't gotten past the first disc. I watched about the first 40 minutes, just just the introduction and heading to the wedding and things like that. And it, you can mm-hmm. just feel um, how how much like the the actual film stock is making a difference here the film mm-hmm. grain is really high it looks gorgeous there's tons of detail in every frame um and you just realize how how weird it must have been to be on that set like Marlon Brando holding a cat that does not want to be held, obviously sitting at the chair. And he just acts like it's this way all the time. And everybody else is acting like when you just start to take a step back and you're like, what was going on in that room? And how many people are crammed into this like office space that, and the cat is just like unhappy. Like I, I, I challenge you to go back and watch how annoyed this cat is that Marlon Brando won't let him go. Um, it, it, it looks so good that it kept making me laugh. I'm like, this cat just hates this guy. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, then everybody's acting around him and it's so serious. Like Brando's holding the room. The only person that's not a part of it is the cat. Like it, it, it's really what crazy. A diva. What a diva. Um, <laughs> never, never work with kids and animals, man. Yeah. So uh, does this, uh, does this edition that you bought, does this have the edit where it's like all one movie or it's like, um, no, they kind of, they kind of, you know, they put all the De Niro stuff as, as a, not just a flashback. It's like its own film or. No, I don't think so. So I think this one, uh, this has Godfather one, two, and then Coda, which is the re-edited version of the third film. But the, but Godfather three still is available on a Blu-ray disc. Mm. So you can get the original Godfather three, but the Coda version, the, the film that is called Coda, which is now the Godfather, the third Godfather movie is uh is in 4k and has been fully restored um, wait, wait, what's the deal with that catch me up um, on why it's called coda now i believe that the they went back and re-edited it to make it more in line with what i think the original two films were the tone and tenor because gotcha. 
I believe there's been a big hubbub that Godfather three wasn't the best of those films. Uh, yeah. Everyone is like, it's fine. I I think when it comes down to it, the, you know, the director and the director of photography had, had their vision for what they were doing. Um, but I think there's been a lot of, uh, revisiting of Godfather three and how they could make it better. So I think the version that's on here is called Coda, which I believe is sort of the, the re-edited version and by the, director and the director of photography so they've, they've made a a new version of the third film gotcha interesting well yeah i'm excited to watch them it's been a while since i've seen the trilogy anyway and and this was a nice way for me to be like uh and to get it on sale like you know they as much as you know amazon owns all the things it's nice when you get like the prime day stuff and it's Times like, are tough on, man you know yeah um yeah, so totally. like, that middle earth ultimate collection is like 199 dollars normally and i got it for like 99 bucks and i think that the Godfather trilogy is normally like $79 and I got it for like 46 and I'm like, it's worth it just for the first two films alone. Like whether or not sure. I want to watch Coda, um, yeah. but just getting my hands on Godfather two in 4k fully restored was, was almost worth the $46 is what it feels like. So nice. um, and with James Conn passing away, it was also one of those that like, I didn't have his, this in my collection and wanted to watch right. something. And I was yeah. like, Oh, that would be a good one to start with. So um, nice. that's sort of all the physical stuff I've had this week. We, we were talking before the podcast that I have something really exciting coming uh, that hopefully will be delivered this week. Uh, and we'll talk about it in the next podcast. Yes. Come back uh, folks. Totally. Uh, so let's, let's move on to some of the stuff we've watched in this past week. That isn't the main review. Um, so do you want to kick us off with maybe one or two of your films and we'll go from yeah. there? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I watched a couple, I watched a lot of like movies this week, which is surprising because I usually watch a lot of like television and stuff, but, uh, this week is kind of like we're on the tail end, not a pun intended of shark week. Uh, so, um, my wife and I, my wife loves shark movies, by the way, (laughs) like, and like, she like kind of likes like. I don't think I don't know if she likes Jaws, but she likes shark movies and she likes the, the thrill of like the scary shark movies. And I'm trying to like get her to like watch like Sharknado and like more of like the the sillier ones. Um, so maybe I'll be I think I think shark reviews will be abundant uh, in, in this in my podcast career here on Geek on Film. But anyway, um, we I actually watched one fun aspect is you may want to think about doing like be thankful for terrible movies. And I, I did that oh, for a yeah. couple of years on Thanksgiving. So I, oh, and nice. Sharknado was a film that I've definitely shown at my house on thank, uh-huh. be thankful for terrible movies. Because you're like, this movie is so bad. It goes all the way. Around. It's like the joke that it goes all the way around to being good. You're like, this movie oh, yeah. is so entertaining that like it is not the movie you want it to be, but it is really entertaining. It's not, not, I know we're, we're kind of side noting and pigeon walking here, whatever you call it. But, uh, my wife and I, when we first got together, our first movie that we watched was Troll 2 because it's her favorite movie. I'm just going to put that out there. So Megan's amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so one of the, one of the movies that I watched, uh, kind of revisited with her, um, this week was the shallows, which came out in two, uh, originally came out in 2016. Um, you can actually watch it now streaming on Peacock. It, uh, it stars Blake lively and it's directed by, um, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but, um, Jome Colette Sierra, who actually, um, I wrote, I made sure to make a note of that because he actually is the director of the upcoming 
Black Adam movie for the DCEU with Mr. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is going to change the hierarchy in the DC universe or the EU. Um, so this movie, it's, it's mostly a movie about a, a, a young girl who goes surfing in a secluded area on a tropical beach and she kind of gets stranded in a, in like the shallows, but she's like, because she's being kind of hunted by a great white shark who's, she kind of has surfed into his, his or her, no pronouns, you know, but his or her kind of feeding ground. And there's also like a, uh, recently passed away, um, whale that's kind of floating there. And that's kind of, I think what's attracted the, the great white shark. Anyway, it's a very thrilling movie. There's some fantastic, there's a fantastic performance by a seagull that is also, uh, on like kind of, that's kind of, um, marooned with, uh, Blake Lively. Um, but I highly recommend it. It's, it's really fun. You know, I don't think Blake Lively, you know, like she's, she has a very diverse career. She does fashion and all these other things. She doesn't do a lot of movies anymore. And actually she's surprisingly like, it's like really joyful to watch her and she's really captivating. Um, so, you know, this is kind of like her version of I am legend in a, in a way where it's like, or, or cast away where it's like just Blake Lively. So um, I, have a, I have a question. Uh, is the seagull a better actor in this film or in the lighthouse? Cause, uh, the seagull really owns the scenes he's in with Robert Pattinson in the lighthouse. That's tough, man. Cause also it's one of those things where like the seagull is so good in this movie. I'm like, that's not a real seagull that has to be CGI. <laughs> But you're like, oh, wait, no, it's a real sequel. Oh, wait, no, it's just really good CGI. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe it's a mixture and a happy marriage. Maybe they just manipulated the seagull's eyes to like get better eye focus or something. I don't know. But um, it's a really good movie. It's a really good kind of summer thriller. You know, if you like movies like any kind of shark movie or like Blue Crush, if you like surfing mm-hmm. movies, like totally check this out. Um, I, I, I didn't know that I was going to enjoy it so much watching it again, but it's actually got a lot of rewatchability. Well, it's interesting. I I think I'll I'll jump to one of mine. Uh, good time, uh, is a movie when you talk about a shark and, and being in their space, I feel like Robert Pattinson's character feels like he is an out of control animal, just bouncing from area to, um, I listened to a bunch of interviews with the Safi brothers who directed this. And the reason I really wanted to see good time so much as I, I felt like uncut gems was such a difficult film to get through. Um, it's, it's level of tension and, and discomfort is it's interesting. And, and, but I think about it a lot. It's a film I walked away from saying like, I don't think I ever want to see that movie again, but I think about it. So then like when I started looking into some of their other films, I realized that there was this Pattinson film that I hadn't seen and I watched it and he feels like he is like, they, when I listened to the interview, one of the things they had talked about is that they found ways to move him from one story to another. So that he would get somewhere and they would be like, all right, well, we need to get him to the next place. How, what plausibly would this terrible person do? Right. So like, and they would basically script out from, from set place to set place. And that's how they wrote the movie. And he mm. absolutely feels like he is, a he's a carnivore that is moving through the world and consuming everything in his way. And, and it's uncomfortable and it's tough, but I think Pattinson is fantastic in it. He's, he's like sweaty and, and difficult and complicated, but still like any halfway through the film, he bleaches his hair. It's so and everybody who talks about this film always says, is that the film with Pattinson with blonde hair? Cause he does it himself in someone's house. So mm-hmm. it looks very like straw, like and yellow. And 
Um, yeah, that's the only thing I really knew about the 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 movie um, before we we talked about it. Yeah, and I think the thing I, I walk away from that film is like it's it it absolutely positively understands New York City, and I think that's the thing I walked away from Uncut Gems also is that the Safi brothers there are aspects of New York as a New Yorker that I was never a part of. And they are part of these weird other cultures that I wasn't in New York. And some of them are very uncomfortable and very uh, difficult worlds that people live in. And Mm -hmm. this is like low level thug criminal world. And it's uncomfortable from the moment you get into it. Um, And there's some really great stories about like They had money for this film because Robert Pattinson contacted them and said like, I, I I'll make, sandwiches on your next film, right? Like I just need to do something to work with you. And, uh, and because of that, they got some funds because it, Pattinson was signed on. So they like, he was such a it factor after the twilight films, right? Like he, but it, it's unreal that he basically was willing to do anything to work with them. And they, they, they filmed in places they normally would have just gotten gorilla shots. And they like took over an entire mall in Queens and that was weird to them. They're like, I don't know how to do this without just like gorilla setting up a camera and shooting people in the background and not getting sign off. Like, right. and not, so it's, it's fun to watch them like work with a little bit more money and, and it still has that same feeling of like reckless and everything is on edge. Um, so it, it, it makes me feel like I, I want to now go back and revisit uncut gems. Um, mm. but the thing that I've heard is, uh, there's a criterion collection release of it on 4k, where they went back and did Adobe Atmos track. And that really unlocks the film for a lot of people because it's such a cacophonous soundtrack. And there's so much going on in every scene that you need that object based audio to, to break it apart. So you can hear everything that's happening in all these scenes because also Adam Sandler mumbles through a lot of the film. So his way of talking specifically as that character makes it harder for other things to be heard in the scene. And that's on purpose, but with the, so I, I really liked it. I think Good Time is one of those films. It's on Showtime right now. Um, and if you've never seen it, it's it's a different approach to Robert from Robert Pattinson. It's also really cool to see something else from the Safi brothers. And uh, you can tell just how much they love New York, writing this film for Pattinson and and with uncut gems in their back pocket that they were ready to film. But sure. they they it wasn't right for Pattinson, which I think is really interesting. It's interesting how um, Robert Pattinson and both he and Daniel Radcliffe's career post their like huge, uh, you know, like money making franchises ended. They kind of like did some really, really weird movies. And I think that's really awesome. So, um, cool, man. Well, uh, and now more, for something completely more short stuff. Come on. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to inter- interject, uh, with, uh, with a different movie that I saw. Okay. So, um still still water themed though um <laughs> i checked out this movie um so i was watching on youtube there was like one of those like 10 movies that blah 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 and i think this was like 10 movies where good actors give terrible performances or whatever and i was like well i gotta check this movie out um and so i checked out the movie deep water which is now streaming on Hulu. I believe it's a I believe it's a Hulu original or a, a Hulu film, which stars Ben Affleck and uh, Ana de Armo, Ana de Armos, who's kind of has c- quietly been blowing up in my opinion. And this yeah. is like this was kind of like I think one of the movies she made as you know I think post Knives Out. 
Um, but but it's directed by Adrian Lin. And if people don't know who Adrian Lin is, he's the guy who brought us Unfaithful, Lolita, uh, Indecent Pro- Pro- uh, Proposal, Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks. So like with all those movies, you're like, oh, I'm in for something, something steamy. And and also, this is based on a novel um, written by Patricia Heisman, who who also wrote the novel for Talented Mr. Ripley. So you're like, oh, well, intrigue and mystery. So steamy, intrigue and mystery. And I cannot, I can tell you, I can safely tell you, you get none of that in this. This might be one of the most boring movies I've ever watched, and I just needed to say that. Um, the there's there's it's it's like we're um so. Long and short of the the synopsis is Ben Affleck is a retired he's a he's create he's a retired military uh, technician who built drones and and so he's super rich but and now he's retired and and bored and he has this like very young you know uh, attractive wife. And she always has quote unquote special friends and um, her, her first special friend that we uh, never meet um, apparently Ben Affleck killed and everyone kind of jokes about it that he, that he, that he killed this person. Uh, so then he scares away the, the second lover and then the third lover dies at a party that they're all at and they're all blaming him. And you're, I think you're supposed, I mean, obviously you're supposed to be like, did he do it? Didn't he do it? Like why? But, but for me, the entire time in the movie, I was like, why are you married to this woman? Yeah. Um, there, there's very little chemistry between the two of them. And the movie is shot so bland and drab. And I understand when you're like trying to, per, you're trying to convey that they live a very boring, mundane life but you don't give me the opposite of that in any way, shape or form with like a change of color palette, a change of lighting, a change of pacing or anything like that. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how this movie kind of fell apart, but, but so um, from what I understand, I listen to a ton of podcasts about film. And one of the things that's brought up is I think this was a film that was made while they were dating um, and that they were hopeful to sort of like hide this film because they're not together any longer. So a, I don't think it was, I mean, maybe JLo wanted to hide this film, but I think they, the the reality is from from your review and what I've heard about it in the past is like, it it wasn't the film that I think they were hopeful they would get out of this experience also. Sure. So I I think, you know, everything I've heard is uh, it was supposed to be released uh, actually in the festival circuit last year. And it got sort of dumped onto Hulu as a concession. Um, mm-hmm. So that way it went somewhere. Like it was, the, there was thoughts that this would be a festival film. And and I don't think it, from, from everything I've heard about it, it probably shouldn't have been. Um, oh and, yeah, uh, no, definitely. It would have gotten destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm glad to hear that you saw, you may be taking one for the team here. Cause it's, it's been in my queue for a while and I keep going like, I don't think I need to like, I, I mean, I'm kind of a Ben Affleck completist, but like also honored Armis is, I, I mean, we can, we can go from this into one of my reviews for this week. Uh, honored Armis is actually becoming one of those go-to people in Hollywood that you can anchor a film around. She doesn't have to be the top of the film in my opinion, but now that two or three spot, she's pretty consistent in what she delivers in that space. You know, she was fantastic in Knives Out, and I think it was a really 
unbelievably good performance, given the fact that that was a huge ensemble cast. And she still stood out with all those amazing people and, and had a very unique, unique um, character amongst all of the other weirdness that was going on, such yeah. as such a unique uh, role to play in a film full of weird people with lots of money that I think she, her, her innocence and her like breath of fresh airness in knives out is what made that movie work better. Like she was almost like the, the Rosetta stone to us understanding the family through the father, right? Like she gave us right. a lot more uh, context for him as a man. And if we had just heard their aspects of it, it would have been terrible. But I think that she's really, it it's, makes me sad that like this film has two amazing actors at the top and that they couldn't land something that, especially while it was during their relationship, that it, it is a, should have been a sexually charged movie and they're both really good actors. I don't understand how this didn't happen. You know, like how we didn't walk away thinking this was a good film, you know? Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like when you watch it, uh, and we don't need to talk too much more about it, but if when you watch it, you almost can see Ben Affleck commenting on the what the validity of how good or bad the the movie is. You yeah, know? I mean, I mean, obviously you can you can you can probably pull a couple like little fun moments in it, but all in all, it, you know, what's really uh, the the problem is that that she is actually really one note uh-huh. uh, more so than he is just kind of phoning it in. Uh, and there was nothing, re- I found nothing redeeming about her mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't see why he would do anything for her and all this other yeah. stuff, you know? So yeah, it was a, definitely a misfire. Um, I think it's interesting cause I think there's some, there's some uh, intrepidation now about she. I believe I believe she's supposed to star in the spinoff of John Wick, and I think they're kind of reevaluating that now. So well, I, I can jump to the Gray Man. So I know you haven't seen it yet, but she's in that film, and she's actually. Mm. I think she's she's got a little bit more to do in that film than I was expecting, given mm. the type of story that we were heading towards. Um, and I think she does well in in the scene she's in. I think. She, I, I, we, we won't talk spoilers at all, but I do think that there's an interesting aspect of like my, my tagline for this film was like uh, attractive people going and blowing things up in places around the world is really, it didn't need much more than that. Like the Russo brothers were just like, we've got a big budget where we can pay to take people to a lot of places. And you know, there's a big epic fight at the end that takes place in a city in Europe. And you're like, yep, you got, you had a lot of money. Uh, I get it. Um, and, and I think the saddest part is I, I'm a huge, I'm kind of a Gosling stand at this point. I think he's in the right movies. He's fantastic. I think he was probably miscast in this film because it seems like they brought, he, they, they brought him in to be something that is not what he ended up wanting to do. It feels a lot more like he's the quippy sort of uh, La La Landy uh, Gosling than sort of a, a trained killer. Like, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. I, I There's some really funny moments. Chris Evans uh, is, is amusing in it for sure. Uh, I think in, in an interview, he said that he like basically stole like 10 villains from different movies he really loves and smashed them together. And, and my, my con- conversational joke about this is like his mustache and his tight, tight pants are doing a lot to, to set his character apart. Like it is, you know who he is by the very first outfit he's wearing in his mustache. And you're like, you're, you're supposed to be this snarky bad guy. I get it. Like it's, yep. I get it now. Uh, no socks. Uh, very tight pants, uh, a collared shirt that looks like it came out of the seventies that very few people can get away with wearing and a very, very uh, severe mustache. Got it. Cool. 
Um, and he's, he seems like he's having a really good time. That That's the one thing I would say that I, I walk away from that film going like, man, Chris Evans is just chewing the scenery. And he's like, mm-hmm. I am not Captain America right now. I am. I'm a bad guy. Like, yeah, and I he, think he's. He feel it. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely enjoying finding those roles that are not Captain America. Yep. Um, I think another one I'll mention quickly, because I know you haven't seen it yet, and we're, we're probably going to talk about it a little bit next time. Um, I got a chance to see Lightyear. Uh, I think that- Also Chris Evans. Uh, Chris Evans does a really good job of voicing that character. I, my big takeaway from that film, and it's not, there's nothing spoilerific about this, is Lightyear could have just been an animated film that wasn't set in this sort of Toy Story milieu, and it would have mm. been fine. It didn't need- right. It didn't add to that universe for me in any way, shape, right? We've talked a little bit in the past, you know, off podcast about like, I, I want films to add to the universe, right? Like I, I feel like Rogue One adds to the universe and Solo didn't add that much to the universe, right? Because it feels like you're you're connecting dots that I didn't need connected, right? Like the, the Kessel Run is so much cooler in your head than they're ever going to film it, right? So like it did for me, didn't actually add much to the universe. Whereas I feel like Rogue One, now when you think about getting those plans, right? You have this two hour movie that you're like, man, all these people died. This this crazy moment, D- Danny Yen's character, right? Like it, it makes that seem even more important, you know? Um, mm. And I feel like Lightyear is that also. It's it's This movie doesn't actually, in my opinion, add much to the Toy Story ethos and ecosystem. Um, and it sort of leverages a little bit of the nostalgia for that to make you care more about this movie. So I don't think it's actually doing what I would hope for in this space. Um, but I'd love to, you know, you're, I, I think you're going to watch it this upcoming week. So the next yeah. time we'll talk more about where, where you think it lands and how well you think it, it, it executed what it was trying to accomplish. But I do think Chris Evans in this, I think he's a great voice performance, like a great, really does you know um it's really believable as that character cool yeah um at at the time of this recording uh it's like three days away from being on disney plus so i was like oh oh, i'll just wait so that's kind of what i'm what i'm gonna do is just wait for disney for it to be on disney plus totally um last movie i want to talk with getting back to staying in the water theme but going getting back to shark week uh is a movie called 47 meters below colon uncaged um this is kind of it's kind of a sequel but not really it's like one of those things where it's like maybe it takes place in the same universe as like the prior movie but maybe not it has nothing to do with the movie 47 meters below which actually is a is another shark movie where a uh, a young girl is in a shark cage it gets dislodged and just sinks and it's it's actually that is actually a really good movie too this movie, because it was a sequel, um, because I, you know, I found it streaming on Amazon Prime. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a bad movie," and I was super, super surprised how much I enjoyed this movie and how much I was impressed by this movie. So, this movie came out in 2019. Um, it's directed by the same person who who directed uh, the original 47 Meters Below. He also directed resident evil welcome to raccoon city and i won't hold that against him um but this movie so this movie is um it takes place where two two young girls with their two young girlfriends not girlfriends but just friends who are girls uh they go scuba diving in a like a like in a in a sunken um 
is it? Uh, it's a. It's either. I think it's an Aztec temple. But in in you know they go uh, scuba diving in a in a sunken temple. And the cool thing is, like, uh, they they shot most of this movie on a set in like Pinewood Studios and some completely submerged. So a lot a lot of times I was sitting back and be like, this GD low budget movie was. I mean, I'm, I was really impressed with all the underwater photography that was happening. And I was really impressed with all the underwater acting that was happening. I was like, these four girls are swimming around being scared, totally underwater with like respirators on and on, on and everything. And I, I, it has a lot of surprising like scares from the sharks that happen to be blind because there's no, you know, everything is dark in the, in the temple and stuff. Um, but I, I was uh, I was really really impressed, and I would highly recommend this movie. Um, there's a lot of like jump scares and a lot of unexpected scares, even when you're in this contained world of a of a temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two the two sisters, um, one of them is Corinne Fox, who is the daughter of Jamie Fox, and the other one is Sistine Rose Stallone, who you probably know that last name as the daughter of Sylvester Stallone. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really impressed with this movie. Like my wife and I went in being like, "Oh, this is this is just going to be one of those like we're not really going to pay attention." And like there are parts that we were like on the edge of the couch, being like, "Oh, ah, ooh," you know. So (laughs) that's very impressed. Yeah, and and this one is streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, I will stick on the water for the moment. Uh, I I finally got around to watching Life of Pi. It was a blind spot of mine, the Ang Lee film. But uh, the reason that I watched it is I was uh, it was on sale. Uh, and I bought the 4K Blu-ray, and boy, does this movie give you a picture quality like no other. It's it's like oh, reference sure. quality um, when it comes down to it. And I was really yeah. impressed, like the story that's being told, the the metaphor that the story is. Like, I, I there's an absolute aspect of this film that I don't want to spoil for people who haven't seen it, but it is so gorgeous. It is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And I was yeah. moved by it and, and I had to take a minute at the end to decide you you're given the reins to decide what story is the actual story. And, mm-hmm. and I love that is uh, it everything you just heard or is it something else? And, yeah. uh, and both are plausible ish, right? Like uh, and, and you're left with this really great moment of like, I, I was blown away by the sound, by the visuals and, just by the, the the absolute audacity of the storytelling and and how much of it is done in a black in a, a green box uh, in inside of water. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of the behind the scenes show that the film is actually shot most of the time in a green box with water in the box that they are putting things against. So it's like green screen actually in a three dimensional space, and uh, it's just unbelievably gorgeous. I, I don't know that I've seen something very, uh, that, that I would classify as as pretty as that film. Yeah. I think Angley or Angley went all out with this one. And I believe he won best director. For I believe he did. Yep. Um, but I remember seeing this movie in, um, in 3d in the, in the theaters. And this, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who are like, I am a fan of like, the James Cameron avatar movies. And I think it's a great use of three, three dimensions and 3d and stuff, but this movie as well, I was like, damn, this movie is like, is, is using 3d in a really smart way. Whereas, you know, some of the other movies convert to 3d and it just, the, the darks look weird and the, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, he, yeah. 
This movie it's, was it's funny. Fantastic. I feel like one of the last movies I saw in 3D uh, was the first Captain America movie. And that movie in 3D was the, the uh, it's terrible. It's, it's hard to describe any other way, but the colors were crushed, like yeah. absolutely muddied across the board and nothing was bright enough. And I felt like I was cheated out of the film that I could have seen. I, I don't really yeah. see 3D very often anymore because I find it mostly oppressive. But that being said, I saw Thor Love and Thunder at the Regal R- in the RPX theater in 3D with my wife. It's the first film my wife has ever seen in 3D, um, which was fun. It, it doesn't really add to it because I've actually seen it one more time since then uh, mm-hmm. because I took my, my mother is staying with me and wanted to see Thor Love and Thunder. So uh, we, t- we went to the film uh, cinema. It was so much fun to watch my mom uh, be enthralled with uh, Chris Helmsworth. Uh, it, it's it's a fun film. I, I, I think it's it's at best... A, a a slightly lesser version of what Ragnarok was trying to do. I think Ragnarok was such a breath of fresh air that this film is not as original feeling. I think there's a lot more jokey jokes in this where I feel like Ragnarok was clever and a little funnier across the board to me and not as on the nose with the jokes. Uh, like, you know, the, the goats were great uh, one or two times. Uh, it came around to being funny again by about the fifth time. By the eighth time, I was like, I'm kind of done with the goats. Uh, you know, but I think overall, I, I really love the story that was being told. Uh, it just wasn't my favorite of uh, the films I've seen this year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I I will see anything Natalie Portman does. And especially when she's You're a superhero, here. I was like, I'm I'm all for it. I thought it was great. I thought uh, I thought the casts were great. I think, you know, I'm on board with what you're saying. Like the first time I saw this, I was like, damn, this is really good. I really like this. Um, Ragnarok, I think Taika Waititi was trying to prove what he could do. Yeah. And I think that the problem with this movie was no one told Taika that he couldn't do anything. So I think there was a lot of improv on, on uh, while they were filming. There were like a lot of rewrites while they were doing this movie to make things that they discovered were funny in prior scenes. You know, they had to rewrite to make those quote unquote logical uh, if you could in this movie, Um, you know, and uh, you know, there were two takes when, so in this movie, uh, Russell Crowe plays Zeus Mm -hmm. and every scene that he was in, they had, they did two takes of one with an incredibly offensive Greek accent which made it into the movie and then one just with a standard british or you know like a standard kind of classic highfalutin yeah yeah Um, um so yeah i think i think that this movie was really great and i i i think it's got a lot of rewatchability i think you know on when i have nothing to do and i'm like you know need something in the background i i often put on thor ragnarok just because it's like one of those movies now where it's like I'm doing something. Oh, I'm going to stop and watch this scene because I really like it, or this yep. this one line. I'm going to make sure I enjoy this. Um, I don't know. So I, I'll, we'll see. Time will tell with this movie. But yeah, I feel like this one. It's like you know, you needed a couple no men for all the yes men uh, with Taika. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, that makes me a little nervous for the future of what what he's going to do. Because um, even in interviews and stuff, like he's having the time of his life, and and kudos to him, he's made some great movies recently, um, and 
you know, like he's made some, even some great television, um, yep. reservation dogs is a great television show on FX that people should check out. Um, and you know, also, um, what we do in the shadows is a, yep. is a fantastic show, but yeah, I kind of feel like you always need a couple people to keep you in check. Well, and I'll say this, the second rewatch of it, um, the components where you realize the second time you see it, that it's a movie of family and of, of parental components and how you are in the world. Um, it hits a little bit differently the second time I was, I was surprisingly more nostalgic and moved, uh, the second time seeing the finale than I Mm -hmm. was the first time. And it, it hit me a little bit harder and was a little more impressive, but then I was also less impressed with the jokey parts. Like I think the rewatchability for me on this film is going to be almost any scene with gore, uh, because Christian Bale is, is, is in a different film, but like, he's he's so good in it. He's really scary and he's really intense. And, um, I, I heard one podcast where somebody made the joke. They were like, he spent like six years with like villains around him being Batman. And he was like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I can do that. I can, I'm going to be that. And like, yeah. he, he just goes like far off the deep end as a villain. And you're like, yeah, I want to see this more. Like, I wish there was more of him to go, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause it's really what he's doing is very unique and different. I also think we have to shout out. There's one sequence that takes place on a tiny planet. Um, where everything is desaturated on purpose. There's a reason why that happens. But what's really cool is it was shot with a a new camera and a new way of doing this. That's a friend of Taika's owns the company where they shot that, where they were able to add the colors in post. And they also were able to add the lighting in post. So they couldn't, they didn't have to light it in one way and then move the camera because the planet's small. So it's moving very quickly. So the sun the moon and the sun are giving it different color gradations and different light sources very fast. So mm-hmm. it shoots like at four times the amount of data or something like that. So they can actually process where the light is and they can move it without it being the light that's in the, in the actual scene. Super cool. And and I really just want to go back and watch that like in high def on my television and be like, I want, I want to just absorb this because everything's black and white. And then there are like touches of color, like the, Mullinger's blue glows at one point the, the there's some gold but those colors are against this like desaturated black and white world and it just looks so different it's such a cool look in this like very much a comic book cart you know almost like a coloring book world that is created by Taika in the visuals for the rest of the movie that this just feels like we all of a sudden turn a corner into this like depthless black and gray aspect and with permeates, which permeates through the whole scenes. And there are like little pops of color on purpose that really shine in those moments. Um, It's those scenes are really pretty and seeing it twice. I saw it once in 3d and once not. Um, Honestly, I was really glad to see it not in 3d because I felt like it was even more bright and the, the contrast was even more interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I it's it's one of those things where I was kind of looking what what movies are coming out trying to like kind of figure out what my my viewing schedule in the theater is going to be and and you know Thor Love and Thunder is still playing and it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I could I literally could just see this again. So it's definitely yeah. even in the theater, you know, with with the way that like subscription services in theaters where you can like see three three movies a week. Yep. You know, quote unquote for free. It's like it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, I'll just go see this. 
So yeah, I think uh, one last nod. Uh, I, I rewatched Ready Player One because I got it on 4K. Um, I've heard lots of people talk about it as a reference quality disc for both 4K and Dolby Atmos. A hundred percent. The first the first fifteen minutes of that movie, uh, the the race sequence that happens is is seriously one of the most amazing rendered pieces because everything is rendered it's unreal how many details there are in those sequences how many characters there are how many nostalgia berries there are when you look around in that sure, yeah it's unbelievable i mean you get to the final battles sure but just that first 15 minutes feels like a showcase for what you can do with cgi rendered characters it's unbelievable and it's also it just feels spielbergy the more you watch it the more you realize how much of the nostalgia is him just like taking this book full of nostalgia and then apply, you realize how many of the nostalgia things are things he made. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's just so like meta. It's like a hat on a hat on a hat of like nostalgia. But that first 15 minutes, that first time you run the course in the, in the car and the, and the driving sequence is, is un, unreal. It, it, it really is like, if I want to showcase my television, I used to use like the matrix sequence where they come in with the guns and go through the metal detector. And that's a really good one for sound because the the directional sound was always really good. Nowadays, I feel like it has to be that first car sequence in in Ready Player One. It's it's so good, um, and it's everything you want. It's it's loud. It's discreet. It's gorgeous. Like it's it's everything. It's all encompassing of like big film, and it, it really is unreal. It's and again, I got lucky. I caught that. Uh, there's like three films I bought for like. $27 on what? one of the sites. Yeah. Like I think it might've been groove G R U V E doc, uh, G R U V.com. They sometimes have crazy deals. And I was able to grab like three films. I think it was either 27 or $33, like $11 a film. It's a pretty well, good way to build out your catalog, you know, shout out to groove.com future, <laughs> future sponsor of geek on films. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, last things to run through, uh, I'm, I'm one week behind on loot at the moment, but that show on Apple plus is Apple TV plus is fantastic. Maya Rudolph is so much fun. The first episode, the pilot does not actually show you what that film is. It has so much more heart than the pilot gives you. I, I would tell anybody, I think I'm up to episode eight right now. Uh, but boy, episodes two through five or so are just such great television, funny, uh, illuminating, moving, very well done television. Uh, and I'll just, the, I, I finally finished the bear, uh, since the last time we talked, mm. that show right. is un- unbelievable. Like it is probably going to win every award this year. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh, the, the lead Jay, Jay White, Jay, I can't remember his name. Uh, the lead in the bear is unreal. Uh, Marvel needs to cast him as Logan and, and make him Wolverine for the next 10 years. Uh, he's fantastic. It's one of the best television shows I've ever seen. And it's definitely one of the best of this year. And that's on F that's a F Hulu or FX on Hulu situation. Is FX on Hulu. Yep. Um, really unbelievable. Uh, so many amazing characters. There's a great cameo at one point where you're like, I, I knew who it was by the voice. And, and I, I literally went like, <gasps> like I was I, so excited to see a cameo of a person you didn't expect to be there. Like, uh, such a great show. Uh, it's cool. so worth the time and in their episodes are short. They're like 40, 40 ish minutes for most episodes. Uh, there's a, the seventh episode is like a single take that they shot four times apparently. Um, and that episode is only 21 minutes long because it's mostly a single take and it's mm. extremely intense. So it's funny that they didn't feel the need to pad it. It's literally 
this like pressure cooker of 20 min, 21 minutes of, of film that I don't know that anybody's ever done before. And I, from what I hear from the po- behind the scenes podcast, they've talked about the fact that they shot it four times and I can't, I can't imagine doing that once, but mm-hmm. four times is unbelievable. Like the, the show is so pressure cooker filled and painful to watch, but also really emotional and moving. Uh, cool. it, it captures the the film, the, the food industry so well that I think anybody who's ever worked in a kitchen will really feel it. Nice. Uh, I think that's it for me for this week. There's always more things I've watched uh, because I feel like I'm always watching something, but uh, I think we should really jump into the the final review this week of Nope and talk about uh, what we thought of it. So uh, I think we'll start with like, John, why don't you give us a quick overview of the film and then your feelings and what you think the rating is before we get into the spoilers. So where, where, where would you come in on this film? Well, so Nope is the latest movie from Jordan Peele who gave us um, Get Out, which was really well received. He also gave us um, Us, I believe it was called. And he also worked on the, the new Twilight Zone that was on Paramount+. Plus. Um, uh, and this stars Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Kiki Palmer, um, and Steven Yoon and some other folks that we can talk about later. Um, and uh, this is his take. Uh, um, Jordan Peele said that this is kind of his summer blockbuster movie. And were, and he also wanted, he, he wrote it and shot it in such a way that it's a story where you can kind of discuss and have your own conclusions about it. And he's not really uh, giving any conclusions himself. Um, but you know what it is is it's um, it's a it's an alien movie in a sense it's a, mm-hmm. a UFO movie it's um, it's a UAP as people call it now uh, an, an unidentified aerial phenomenon movie um, but it's more than that it's a family drama it's a western um, it's a man versus nature movie. Um, all in all, uh, there are a lot of small things we can talk about. I, I, I really enjoyed this, I think. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, I'm going to pass it to you now, and then and then we'll, we'll yeah, play think, around a little. So if you were going to give it a, a rating, how would you, uh, let's say on a, a one to five uh, geek on films or, or can, canisters of film, where would, right. where would you put it for, for, for you? And, and where did his previous films really quickly? Uh, like get out to me, I, I would have given a 4.5 or maybe a five out of five. Yeah. Uh, because that movie was new, fresh and for it was at the time to me, I was like, there's a lot about it. I was always like, Oh, 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 Oh. And you know, there were moments cause that's kind of his horror movie. And I, I, there were legitimately I parts I was very, very, you know, nervous and scared about, but then parts that I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's going in this direction. Yeah. Um, that being said, if I if I base that being a four point five or a five uh, for for Get Out, uh, I would give Nope maybe like a I don't know like a like a three point five probably yeah. th- maybe three point seven five. Um, I wasn't you know but and I try to look at I was and you know I remember watching this and being like I'm not trying to compare this to Get Out. Yeah. Uh, and that being said, there are really interesting parts about this movie i i when we get into more spoilery things there the the uap or ufo i i really think that's a cool interpretation i don't know how many times i've ever seen that if any 
So that was like new and fresh. Um, you know, and I think it, it's a, it's a movie that you have to stick with yep. and you have to take away after the credits roll and after you leave the theater and you really have to think about it. So, you know, it's a thinking, it's a thinking man's blockbuster, I think. Yeah. What I would, think of it i think it was funny i saw it in the theater uh i went by myself it's not the kind of movie that my wife's really interested in and uh i was really excited this is one of my most uh anticipated films of the summer in my opinion i I really Mm -hmm. had had a lot going into this and i walked away thinking uh that it wasn't as it wasn't the film i thought it was which is i think what jordan peele will do to us every time Uh, Mm -hmm. i think you can have an idea of what you think the film is going to be and he will make something that is interesting and will stick with you for a very long time um i left the theater and my first thought was i i think i have four podcasts on my phone that were uh reviews of nope and i couldn't get to my car fast enough to a decompress from the film and how crazy Mm -hmm. that ending was but also like to hear people who I'm aligned with or who I have heard their reviews of other films uh, and, and to have almost like a conversation like we're having right now, but hear people talk about the film. I, I knew that I, knew, I wanted to spend some time with it. Um, I think I need to see it again. It is. It, I, yeah. And I think that's an important aspect of what he does, right? He makes, he makes unconventional films and unconventional choices that, uh, make you think about the subject matter he's trying to get you to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this this film is uh, this. It, there's an awful lot of this film that I think is about. Um, it's it's almost a referendum on how people of color in the media industry have been treated, and and about how the film industry and and uh, accolades and things like that are not always given properly. And I, you can feel that a little bit in the way that the ending is shot. Uh, in my opinion, I think there's some really interesting ones. So I, I, I'll hold off a little bit on that until we get to sort of the the, the actual. We're gonna we're gonna spoil this film. Yeah, uh, we'll- my big takeaway is like Daniel Kaluuya is is doing something that I think uh, is outside of what he normally does, which I think is interesting. He plays almost like a a, a western. Uh, he, he's so reminiscent of the stoic cowboy from the 40s and the 50s. Uh, the man who's more comfortable with an animal than he is with a human. Um, mm. But he, Kiki Palmer is the sort of the key that unlocks him. And I think honestly, it is when we finally get to uh, what's his name? The, the, uh, the person from the store, uh, Brandon, Brandon Pereira. Yeah. When he arrives, that trio is actually when you get to see like the characters become who they really are. Um, he almost like, I thought it was Kiki Palmer that was unlocking Daniel Kaluuya. And I think it's really actually Brandon. I think he unlocks both of them. He, mm-hmm. he creates this off awesome third leg for the stool that, that is the two other actors. And they, the movie really changes once he gets involved. Um, it, it, it opens up in ways that I hadn't up to that point because the, the characters of Daniel and Kiki are, are siblings. So they have a shorthand built in. So when they add in a third person who is part of their trio, they, he doesn't have that shorthand with them. So they have to also be more explicit in the way they communicate. And I feel like that's an interesting aspect that Jordan has hit on in this film that I don't think others would have, which is like you, you go from the familial connection to a third person being a part of this. And now they have to communicate differently. They have to be outside of their normal methods of communication. And uh, I think that's a really fun part of the movie that I didn't think about until much later is that like Daniel Kaluuya's character is so stoic and held back and reserved through the first 
35, 40 minutes of the film. And he has to open up a little bit once there's another player at the game. And, and I feel like that, that really shines and makes his character even more believable, but also explores a little bit more, I think of why he was the way he was in the first 35 minutes. Yeah. I think he also had to take into consideration with uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character is that he's dealing with the death of like the, witnessing and dealing with the death of his father, yeah. thusly the death of their ranch also, because now he's in charge of it. Um, and this kind of development of like the UFO slash UAP is like, is a way to kind of get them out of, you know, like that rut by like yeah. getting, getting footage of a, of a getting like the definitive footage of a UFO, yeah. but also it kind of gives them something else to think about you know so it's it's a way for him to kind of get out of that kind of mourning period that he's been locked in yeah for so long because kiki's kind of not been around you know she's kind of more um she's been kind of uh estranged i guess from her father a little bit yeah um i think we should just say at this point we're in full spoiler territory i think the interesting piece of this movie for me is that um it 100 percent feels like a direct homage to jaws um, the yeah, way that I, the the creature, so the big spoiler here, right, is it is a UAP, but it's actually a creature and not a actual um, uh, alien machine. ship. It's not a machine. Yeah. So it's um, like this, like it's like this thing that most of the time appears as a disc with like a giant opening in the bottom, and it literally kind of flies around, sucking up people and and, and digesting them, and you almost don't. You don't get that right away. They don't. Oh. That's not something they flat out tell you. And I, th- I think it's well. First off, we're going to pause because you didn't get. What was your not? What's your what's your rating of the movie? Um, I think when I left the theater, I was pretty solidly at a three. I think the longer it's sitting with me, it's probably getting closer to a three and a half. Gotcha. I think yeah. one more viewing, it might it, it'll either settle directly into that three five or it'll go to four. I think yeah. it's a smart film, and I think that's what Jordan does is he makes yeah. films that make you think. And yeah. those are the kind of films I want to revisit. So I think it's very likely a 3.5 right now. And uh, on a second viewing, I, I might get closer. I, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I want to go see it in, if I can catch it in IMAX before it leaves IMAX, the cinematography in this film is probably going to be, who knows what it's, it's Academy nominations possibilities are. But I think if we're going to start with anything, it's the director of photography getting a nod in cinematography. It is shot beautifully. It's, it's the same guy who shot Dune and is, is Christopher Nolan's DP most of the time. And he uses uh, the IMAX, from what I understand, uh, the IMAX feel is panning and scanning the sky. Mm. Um, so many people have referred to the fact that they crane their neck while watching the movie because they're trying to follow the UAP. So they're right. like, that is not what you normally get when you shoot a horror movie. You're not looking for it to be hidden in the sky. Um, but the feeling is that it's moving and it's, it's not there, right? Like there's so much clever in this film about setting where the, where the alien is, right. The, the use of the wavy arms guys Mm -hmm. around the road. So you can see physically because every time the alien is around, it saps all the electricity out of whatever's being run. So seeing these wavy arm guys just flop to the ground slowly. And you're like, well, that's where it is, right? Like um, what I love. And I will say, and I said this to my wife coming in is she asked me about the film and I was like, I think what I really love about Jordan Peele's way of telling stories is he sets up a universe and he sets some ground rules that actually help land the final act you know what's going on in that final act without a single word being said for about 20 to 25 minutes. 
right? Mm, like yeah. it's amazing to realize how little dialogue there is in this like crescendo scene of the movie. And it's, it's all based around this sort of the shorthand he gives us for understanding his creature, but he also doesn't hand us the book on why, right? Like we don't know what would kill this creature. We have no idea, right? Like we don't know. There's not like, we don't cut to a government facility that says like, Oh, we've been tracking this thing the whole time. And it's obvious got sound problems, right? Like we don't get that. What we get is individuals trying in the moment to figure out what's going on and little components of details that we are seated. So that way, when we get to that final act, we're seeing it unfold and we know why. Um, yeah. And I think the same thing with get out, like get out, it does that in such an amazing and interesting way. Right. Us, I think is a little bit less clear in its finale. Uh, I don't know that it gave us as much of this, what I'm talking about here, which is that like we, we established the ground rules and the boundaries of the world and you are now left to interpret what you're seeing. And I think he did that really well in get out. And I think this is, is a really good representation of that. Like the homage to J- Jaws, where the creature is just an an, an eating machine, right? But mm-hmm. you can see how it moves based on its electrical impulses and how it kills things. But we can't see it because it's hidden in the clouds. It's a smart move to not have to render the creature all the time, you know? Yeah, I I after seeing the movie, I actually found myself looking up at the sky and just like looking at clouds and be like, oh, that's in like you know just envisioning this like flying disc kind of sneaking between the clouds because that was like that was one of the cool things they did with the you know the 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 effects is yeah it literally is like practically tiptoeing from cloud to cloud and and it's just a really cool thing and um and you know i i really liked like there's a lot of uh there's a lot of kind of you know because it's a horse ranch you know, they like they they understand animals. They understand like not to look, you know, like beasts in the eyes because it intimidates them. And that's a big that's kind of a big theme that that happens with this UA, um, uh, UAP. But also it goes back to kind of uh, Stephen Yun's character is this um, he's this kind of child actor that dealt with a really terrible tragedy he was on a TV show with a chimpanzee and they were filming and then the chimpanzee uh, went berserk. And this is kind of loosely based on real life events where like, you know, like the the chimpanzee attacked everyone and like, you know, bit killed some people, ate some people's faces. And he's the only kind of one that survived it unscathed physically, but emotionally yeah. uh, he's scarred and it was really interesting to see how he kind of dealt with uh, trauma. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas of like how different people deal with traumas that they've experienced. Yeah. Before you get off that, I think the, the Gordy's home, the, the, the show that it's based around and that we see, I think what we're seeing is a thread throughout the movie of like, it's, it's impossible to, corral and to harangue nature and creatures mm-hmm. right like oh sure yeah gordy, gordy loses his shit because a, a balloon explodes and and that is the trigger and early on in the movie we see when um when they bring the horse to the set and they get too close to the horse that there's a respect that the protagonists have that the people around them don't and that mm-hmm. horse kicks someone, kicks stuff out of someone's hand, right? Like, and and I think the same thing can be said for the UAP, right? Like, absolutely, yeah. We're, we're, and I love the fact that, like, it's it's this subtlety that 
is not just around like the electricity drains out. So we know where the creature we he's been telling us the whole time that like, you can't control things that are outside of that are out that are creatures. Stop trying to do that. Right. Like, and, and yeah. that, that, that seed is all the way there and, and you get to the final act and you're like, okay, like I, yep. I, I, I can see where we're going, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not like, he's not leading you by the hand. He's, he's gracefully leaving you like breadcrumbs to decide like, Oh, I, I think I know where we're going. You know, um, yeah, which I mean, is an he's, interesting he's, choice, you know? Yeah. He's showing us, but he's not telling us, which is, yep. yeah, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, there's even a moment where Kiki Palmer's character almost gets sucked up and eaten, but she looks away. So she falls back down to the ground. So, yep. you know, there's this idea of like, yeah, don't even look this thing in the eye. And there's a tragedy that happens. And it seems like it's happened more than once based on like um, when, um their father dies you know that has happened and then it happens again later on where it's like you know in ufo in in ufo movies everyone's always looking up in awe of it but it's like if you do that well then you're you're effing dead yeah (laughs) um and um yeah I, i i think um you know one of the things i think the the idea of like this being a Jaws, a, a space Jaws movie is is right on the nose. I know that like Jordan Peele uh, apparently drew a lot of inspiration from like, yeah, like like Steven Spielberg and Jurassic, like he like loves Jurassic Park. He loves yep. King, like movies like King Kong and stuff. So he loves like the human infatuation with like spectacle and like taming wild things. And and um, and obviously that's, that's really present in that, in this. Um, something that, I also found really interesting kind of jumping back and forth from the Steven Yoon story is like, we see like we, he's uh, like Jordan Peele throws us back into flashbacks of like that moment. And it's like, those were actually probably the scariest moments for me. Well, the movie Uh, opens with, with Gordy staring down the barrel of the camera. Yeah. Like it's, all, it's all a, bloody and, yeah, and it's like a, a really unbelievable way to open the film. Right. Like, you, yeah, you're like, what, what the heck is going on here? That, that is, uh, it's so unsettling. Cause you're like, I'm here to see a movie that I think's about an alien and it opens yeah. on a bloody gorilla. And you're like, whoa, what? Like, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's chimpanzee. They're different. Sorry, chimpanzee. chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing that, the thing that's really interesting is there's a scene where, Steven Yeun is telling, trying to tell them about it, and he can't even get into go into detail about it because it's affected him, and he is traumatized. But he won't, he won't, he won't work that out because yeah. it's still making him money. And he, we, we see how traumatic it is. We are shown how 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 terrible it is, well, and yet he's like, and he, and yet he's like, oh, did you see the Saturday Night Live sketch? It's pretty much that. Yeah. And you're like, it's, I thought that was so interesting and so cool how like we know the truth, but he, and he's just kind of working, you know, he's, he's only willing to like say that, oh, it was fine. It was, yeah. it was really bad. And well, and I love the way that, that Jordan Peele decided to show us that, right? Like we saw what he was experiencing as a child and he was talking about it with this like light lightness, but we saw what he was actually seeing when he was trying to revisit that space we were in his memory and like that is brutal because you realize he's not processed it. Like every time he thinks about it, he goes back to how scared he was as a child in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yet the way he's talking about it is very light, very off the cuff, like jokey about what happened in the tragedy. 
Um, yeah, it's really good. I think the one last thing I wanted to note is like, I, and I, I heard some, heard this on another podcast where they talked about the fact that like OJ is framed at the end, like the horse in motion picture, right? Because mm -hmm. the edge of the ranch is actually almost like a four by three frame. And right, the yeah. that he's standing there. You're like, it's a black man on a horse at the end of this. So I, I feel like there's always this like beautiful symbolism and visuals. And I feel like Jordan gave one last nod, which was just like, we don't know who that black man was. And this, that's how this whole story is really unfolds is that mm -hmm. it, it was their, their relative, right? Their ancestor was the, the man on the horse in the horse in motion that was captured by Moybridge. Um, but it's so interesting that we're left with the, one of the final images of the film is OJ framed almost the exact same way as that motion, that horse in motion is with the, mm -hmm. with the ranch that says like, you know, goodbye or thanks for coming or something like that. But like, it's a really great moment of like Jordan, almost like putting a hat on a hat. Like it, this, this whole movie takes place and is about a black man on a horse. And you're like, yep, got it. I, I figured yeah. it out, you know, like, but he gave you that last visual moment of like, Hey, he's still here. And B, this is what you should remember from this movie. Right. Like it, it really feels decadent and beautiful in that last scene. I, I really love that aspect of it. Yeah. I think, and I think from my final take that I de definitely want to mention, and um, I think the you using the word decadent really is triggering for me in, in a good way is um, the music in this sh in this oh, movie yeah. is awesome. Yes. It's 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 very much it, I, there are parts where yeah, like no one is saying anything, but the music is just like so incredible, and it's very much like that the thing that really to me makes it like a summer blockbuster epic almost spielbergian thing yeah. it's like you know i don't want to say john williamsy but like um who was it it was uh michael abels yeah michael abels who's done all of jordan peele's movies yep. um and i feel like they're all very different and this was like so like grandiose and, and epic and, and and I really really loved it. I yeah I would I know say atmospheric right like he he, yeah. he he creates this like you can feel the world that's being set in the film by the music and, mm -hmm. and it, it like is a perfect coupling of the visuals that you get like these like sumptuous shots of the sky when we're supposed to be looking for this UAP and, and the music is actually also swelling in the same way as you see the alien for the first time. Like those moments are, they're so much better because of the sound. So I would love, like I mentioned earlier, like the awards possibilities for this film, I think the cinematography, I think production design, I think there's so many aspects of that that would work. Yeah. But I also think the, like score. The, the score and the sound, the sound work across the sound mixing, right. Yeah. Is, is unbelievable. Like that, the, the sounds of the horse, screaming when it's been taken and and you realize why later is is some of the most haunting sound i've ever heard in a film mm. um you know it's it's really unbelievable the sound really is another actor in this film it, it's telling the narrative as much as the actors are yeah oh 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 and if we're going to talk actors i do have to give a special shout out to michael wincott <laughs> who is, he's like a cameraman, yep. uh, cinematographer who they reach out to. They first meet him on the commercial that initially in the beginning of the movie. Um, and then they reach out to him because he's like a documentarian and he's the one that they entrust to get like the quote unquote perfect shot of this UFO slash UAP. shot. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you may, people probably maybe remember him as, um, 
he was in Prince of Thieves as like the guy who's like, why a spoon cousin, you know? <laughs> and, and um, so that's kind of where I remember him. And then seeing him in this and just being like that, like grisly monotone wearing a dress and sandals, which I thought was like cool choice. Yep. Um, kind of dude. I was like, I just, I, I want to, I want a movie about you. <laughs> Um, so maybe, maybe we'll get some, maybe we'll get something. Yeah. I, I was, I just am so impressed with this film because even uh, us talking about it for 20 minutes or 25 minutes doesn't capture all of what was going on in that movie. And that's saying something like we, we talk a lot about these things and we, we, we can keep a lot of energy going. We're very enthusiastic. This is a movie that we could talk about for an hour and never really hit on everything. And I think that's a testament to who Jordan Peele is as a director. I think he makes interesting movies that make you think a lot longer than the runtime of the film. And they, they leave you a lot of things to chew on and figure yeah. out on your own, which I I'm really excited by. We, we get so many by, by the numbers movies uh, that, that having a director who's willing to go out there and, and make his vision of, uh, and his approach to the types of films he wants to tell is, is powerful. I'm, I'm really, I, I went on opening weekend cause I want there to be more Jordan Peele films, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I went going in knowing that this is the type of film, film creator I want to support. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think, I think that just sitting here and listening, you know, and talking, you know, like you said, for like 20 minutes and so, and I think we're just while talking about it, we're, we're building a greater appreciation and, and who knows where we would rate this movie after this conversation. And yeah. I think that, I think that that's something that you can count on listening <laughs> to the podcast in the future. So hit that, hit that subscribe button, my friends on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you made it to the end. So congratulations. Uh, you, you made it through yet another long winded uh, conversation between John and I, I think uh, what we talked about in the first episode is this is going to be a conversation podcast across the board. And it's about our enthusiasm and love of these films and the media that we're talking about. Um, and uh, we're really open to feedback. If there's something we could be doing differently or that you agree or disagree with us, feel free to follow us anywhere you find these podcasts. Uh, uh, we're now uh, starting to release these out into the public finally, and uh, and we're available through geekonfilm.com, and our Twitter handle is uh, geekonfilm.com, uh, possibly to change in the future. Uh, somebody's camping on the one I want, uh, but I think there's also a lot of uh, future conversations between John and I, not just about what we're watching in this week, and I think we, there's, there's a lot of things that we love that we revisit. Like John went through this deep dive this week about shark related things because of shark week, right? Like I'm talking about these 4k films that I'm buying and sometimes watching for the first time um, that I think are an important aspect of being a, a cinephile, right? Like you need to be able to reference things, right? Like I, I don't, I didn't just make the drop about lighthouse about the seagull. It's what I thought of when John mentioned seagulls, because the acting of that seagull and those scenes with the seagulls in lighthouse make me think of that film so different. Like if it was just the humans, it wouldn't be the same, right? Like, um, and it gave me more context for why I love that film or why I love films that Eggers is making. You know, he has such a unique take on the world. So um, I look forward to us doing this frequently. We're going to be doing this every two weeks. Uh, That's our current plan. So expect to see another one of these in your feed in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just to, to just add to that really quick is like, I think we're kind of talking through films and I think that's maybe something that might be a little different from um, other podcasts that you listen to is where they're just like analyzing or whatever like that. But I feel like this is like, like Robbie said, more conversational and yeah, kind of like 
it's almost like movie therapy where we're talking <laughs> through something that we've experienced. You get a chance to hear a couple of friends chat about film in ways uh, that we talk about without you around. Um, And that's why we decided to start this podcast. So uh, I just want to say thank you to John for being a part of this. And thank uh, you, sir. I look forward to chatting again in a week or two. Right on. Have a great week. This has been a geek on film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.